0: Hey listeners, today's episode deals with the topic of anti-Semitism, murder, and genocide. We wanted to notify our listeners who may experience trauma related to those topics ahead of the episode and to let you know that resources are listed on the website. Thanks for listening. In this True Crime Law and Order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals. One who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories. We're back. Ugh, it feels like a hundred years, to be honest. It, um, it, it that's because it has been a hundred years, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, how were your holidays? Generally, they were good. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, they were good.
1: Um, we did family stuff. Yeah, which was complicated but good. Overall, yeah. really, really good. No, no major regrets. Yeah. Um, but as you know, I do have one. COVID. Big takeaway. Yep, yeah. <laughs> exactly. COVID. So our anti-vax parents, there I said it, have uh, chosen to give us all COVID for the holiday season. So Ugh. just finishing up our recovery period from that fun adventure into the new yeah. year. Yeah.
0: Woohoo. <laughs> Sorry okay. about that. Glad Ugh. you're better, though.
1: Yeah, me too. I mean, I feel like everyone is getting it. I, everyone is just going to be touched by it in some way at yeah. this point there's just no real way to avoid Escape. it completely yeah. yeah so anyway but that's that's really my major things and uh, life changes how about you what's going
0: on what's what's the, what's the deal just got back from a little overnight trip in Los, in Los Angeles miles and i drove down there we went to a thing called the it's called enchanted it's at the Descanso oh. gardens and it's like a mile long walking path through a kind of like a botanical garden natural preserve thing, but they do this light installation at night. And so there's like a field of like light changing tulips and like (laughs) a giant orb that's like the moon. That's the size of, I don't know, a giant, (laughs) like a moon. It's giant. Um, And there's all these cool, like, light installations that, like, reflect off the trees and, like, light up the canopy and stuff. It's really cool.
1: How fun. That sounds
0: amazing. Uh, Are you looking
1: at it? No, but I'm just, in my mind, I am. In my mind's eye, I am traveling there because that sounds like an absolute dream.
0: It was really cool. There were a lot of people, which I didn't love, but at least it was outdoor. Um, I will say, if you're somebody who is, like, sensitive to flashing lights and gets disoriented, Mm -hmm. which sometimes my brain does, there was one section where I was like, I need to leave this section immediately because it was beautiful. (laughs) It was, like, all these... It looked like a, a... millions of tiny little fireflies because it was these oh. tiny little dots that were floating all around the like canopy and things like that but then it it also like hit people and so like you wouldn't be able to make out a person cause it was dark, but you would see this like figure of dots moving around. And so it just, it mm. fucked with my brain really bad. So, but overall it was really nice, but here's the thing. Okay. PSA. I have a, I have an announcement and a request, please. If you're a person who wears perfume, fine. Great. That should only be a fragrance that somebody, like, intimate with you smells. <laughs> if I am outside with a mask on my face and your perfume is so strong that it is making me nauseous, you're a bad person. Do not do that.
1: I agree. Do you remember the days of Bath and Body Works body Jesus sprays? Christ,
0: yes. Cucumber yes. melon. Ugh. Hey, ladies. Cherry blossom. Oh my god They're, I mean fragrance fragrance <laughs> is hard for a lot of people who have like migraines and things like that, but just please never like one spritz that you walk through that's all that's all you need yeah what are you doing? <sighs> what are you, so Peppy lepew on it's so bad Cut it out i and th- three different people, three different people were wearing that much perfume oh my God, and they were probably all competing, probably they like <sighs> had a stink off. We're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i do have a recommendation a second season of this show just came out and i had watched the first season it is on netflix it's called criminal um and it's like criminal uk i don't Mm -hmm. know if there's a version that's non-uk um but it's essentially like the entire premise is an interrogation room you like never like that's the only setting you see and it's this team of people trying to Get somebody to like give them the answers that they need, and and it varies wildly. Like one of them is somebody who like aban- was um, helping to smuggle people into the country, and they like abandoned the truck, and so they're trying to find it before the people die of exposure. Ooh. So it's it like it's kind of wild in different circumstances, but mm-hmm. it's really good and surprisingly uh, phenomenal actors. Like David Tennant is one of the people that's interrogated. Sophie Okonedo, who is the Amarlin seat in The Wheel of Time, Mm. is one of them. So, like, pretty, like, big, heavy-hitting actors in it. And just really good writing, really intriguing, wondering what's going to happen next, um, kind of criminal procedural thing. So, highly recommend. Fun. Okay. Yeah. I'm into that. What about you? Um, I have a couple random things and a, a
1: recommendation or two. Um, just a cute little thing Davy said the other day. Yes, he referred to people who listen to the show as headliners.
0: Um, I love that, and that is now a thing. <laughs> I was like, that is really cute. I was like, it's headliners. Perfect. He's like, yeah, yes. like you
1: know, like listeners of your show, like.
0: Oh, I, love I was like that. That's so
1: cute.
0: Hello, headliners. Hello,
1: headliners. Um, so I thought that was cute. Um, I was gonna hopefully make this a recommendation, but the newest season of uh, season. Season of Up and Vanished, the podcast, came out. Uh-huh. I think it's the third season. Is that the say? one that we
0: talked about where he talked about Billy Eilish? I forget. No. No, okay. that's To Live and Die in L.A. Right, right, right. Okay, thank you. Um, This is with Payne Lindsay, I believe. Okay, all right. And I love the first two seasons of Up and Vanished. Uh-huh. It just didn't do it for me. I can't remember if Payne Lindsay is also somebody who's, like, not a great person. I don't I'm... I don't my- think he's a bad person at
1: all. I don't think he's like in the same vein as what we found out about the other host. Um, yeah. But I think he, for me, I think this is just an opinion and taste thing. Early on, he seemed more like you know I'm I'm doing this independently and I'm I'm trying my best and maybe situations are out of my depth. Yeah. Uh-huh. he was relatable. Now he's coming off to me a little smarmy, like a little yeah. bit like I'm. Yeah. Uh, true crime podcaster that got really fake. He's got a TV show now, too.
0: Oh, yeah. Called mm-hmm. Up and
1: Vanished. And so, I don't know. It's just, it just gives me a different vibe. And he covers a case, you know, which is important, because he's covering the case of a missing or murdered indigenous uh, woman.
0: Well, yeah, that's good that that's getting coverage, at least. Right. If, if he's doing a good job, it's good. Right. I feel
1: like he doesn't do anything inappropriate, but there's a feeling that, he wanted to do a case of a missing or murdered indigenous woman. Yeah. T- because it's.
0: The optics of it, basically. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. It doesn't. F- and then he, f- and then he picked one and then it didn't feel like he could go anywhere really with it. It felt yeah, like it twice as long as it needed to be, you know, I don't know. Don't I don't know if it really quick, did anything.
0: Quick little Googling. And uh people are saying that, up and vanished went from completely rec- reckless to self congratulatory, and that basically yeah. he is like, you know, um, making it about himself and profiting off of people's tragedies. Okay, I feel like
1: I'm not crazy for feeling that way now because no, I really loved the first two seasons. You know, I don't know. So, yeah. not a recommendation, but if you like Up and Vanished, <laughs> I would say hmm, worth worth hearing <laughs> it to to hear about the the girl. You know, the that victim.
0: was that was perfect. If you. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I'll
1: take. My- Perfect. <laughs> um, and I'll just do one actual recommendation, which is a different podcast called Chameleon. Uh huh. It's in its second season now, so if you search it, it's going to be called Chameleon High Rollers,
0: I think. Huh. Okay.
1: But the first season of it was called Chameleon:
0: The Hollywood Con Queen. Con C O N. Yes. Okay. Like and- conventions or con artists. Con artists. Okay. And it was just riveting.
1: A story you've never if, – if you're looking for a story that's not necessarily about murder, but it's about, like, a, just an insane criminal activity, huh. I would say it's really, really, nice. really good. Um, cool. So Chameleon, the Hollywood Con Queen, I think it's only on, like, Apple Podcasts and stuff. I don't think you could find it on everywhere. But if you could find it, highly recommend. I'm going to check out the second season, but the word is out on that.
0: The heat is on. I don't know. Um that's all I got. I also needed to shove a cookie in my mouth <laughs> because I was really oh, hungry. Look, what kind of cookie? A stroop waffle?
1: Oh, I love those. Those are the um wait, hold on. Our stroop waffles are one of two things. Are they the like waffle cookie that is like with honey in the middle sort
0: of? Caramel, but yes. Car-
1: okay. Caramel. <sighs> Caramel. Got it. Do
0: you say that differently than I do?
1: I say caramel because I pronounce because all you're the letters inside fancy. of it.
0: No, because you're fancy. You say like, caramel. I'm having caramel.
1: It's caramel.
0: Listeners, hey, headliners,
1: <laughs> write in. Let us know.
0: Yeah, what is it? Is it caramel or c- caramel? <laughs> or is it caramel? I just think of caramello, which I've never had, but I always wanted. Wait, I laughed so hard at how you said Caramello, I couldn't hear anything else he said.
1: What did you never have?
0: Caramello. Oh, yeah, those are good. They're really good. Okay. I am the recapper. And headliners... Wait, what?
1: No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm geez, just kidding. Don't
0: fuck with me. Oh, my God. Headliners, <laughs> I was just about to explain that... I, like, did all my recap, et cetera, et cetera, you know, took all my notes, and then wrote to Matt and was like, just to confirm, like, it was this episode, like, this was the title. And Matt goes, no, it was this other one. So (laughs) what's going to happen is this episode, I'm going to be the recapper, and then next week, I'm also going to be the recapper, because I'm an idiot, and I can't figure out my life. So, hey,
1: listen, it's kind of like catching up, because you had two in a row where you were the... Crime person, so. I guess that's true. Yeah, it's, it's only fair. Start out the new year
0: with some good old-fashioned revenge. <laughs> <laughs> new year, new revenge. Here we go. <laughs> All right, so this episode is titled Night and Fog. Mm. And we open in the stairwell of an apartment building. And, of course, it's like the classic neighbor trope of the old lady wearing curlers in her hair. Love it. And it's police officers, which I do believe gives me like a point for a police officer opening. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we're essentially, it's a a noise complaint. Uh, She's like, their TV's loud and I want to go to sleep. Um, I got to get a root canal. (laughs) Literally, she says she has to get a root canal in the morning, so she needs her sleep. So the cops open the door because there's no answer to the knocking. And it's an elderly couple. They enter the apartment and it's an uh, and strangely unnecessarily long, like following somebody walking around an apartment with no, like, sa- no sounds, no dialogue, nothing. It was just really boring, wasted airtime. Yeah. And they let the neighbor in with them. Like, yeah. you don't belong yeah. in here, girl. Go back no. to bed. Yes. <laughs> They eventually get to the bedroom and they find a woman face kind of face down on the floor. She appears to have like fallen and died, maybe question mark. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of blood. It looks like we learn later that she broke her nose when she fell. Well, anyway, we'll get to that.
1: Allegedly.
0: So Briscoe and Logan arrive, and they're interviewing Lady with the Curlers, asking her, like, tell me about this couple. What's the story? Because it's a a husband and wife, but the wife is dead and the husband is missing. And she essentially tells them, like, he goes out for a walk every single night. And she tells them it's because he has a hard time sleeping. And we learn that they are both survivors of the Holocaust. Mm Mm-hmm. The neighbor says she didn't hear anything out of the ordinary that night besides the TV. And she says I think she says the uh the guy went out around midnight is what she said. Which is weird because if you have to be up at eight and you're like an old lady with curlers in your hair, why are you awake at midnight in the halls talking it doesn't make sense, Quite but bad. anyway. <laughs> Go to sleep. <laughs> so Logan doesn't he's like kind of going around the apartment doesn't see anything missing missing we kind of like look at the old lady's drugs and um, and we see you know she had MS and we see like a, a bottle of sleeping pills and Logan says this might have something to do with it and it's a two month supply of sleeping pills which had been filled four days ago but half of the bottle is empty Also, this would never happen today because the fucking government is so restrictive on things like sleeping pills that it makes it goddamn impossible to get more than, like, one day advance. I know, because I have them. (laughs) (laughs) So the husband shows up, like, in the middle of the crime scene. He's all agitated, yelling, and he says, I must call my daughter and tell her I did this. It's this weirdly, like, Shakespearean, like, confession where he's like, I killed her. I killed the woman I love. It was very strange. We get a title sequence. Now, it's early January right now, so I figured it's probably time to take down my Christmas tree. So I remove each ornament, and I have a lot, and I carefully wrap it in tissue paper, and then I disassemble my tree because it's an it's a, a artificial tree, and I put it back in its box, and then I take it all out to the garage and put it in the attic. And just as I'm wrapping up, the title sequence ends, and I'm back to the episode. What a beautiful way to spend that time. thank you wow so when we come back we're in the interrogation room with the husband and he says that his wife was 70 and she couldn't walk she was in pain all the time and she had begged him to help her like end her life essentially Hmm. he says that he filled the prescription he gave her a glass of water and saw her take the pills and they're like what time was this he doesn't remember but he saw her take the pills and then left because, he says, he couldn't watch her die. Hmm. They ask if she talked to anyone else about this because they're like, well, you know, if this was truly death by suicide, maybe she had told other people about her plan. And they're, they're doing this to kind of, like, rule out whether it was, like, a suspicious death or not. Right. And he says, like, no, it was just between me and her. And they're like, okay, did she, like, leave a letter behind to, like, indicate that this was a plan? And he says, we didn't think to. In hmm. the, like, backside of the interrogation room, behind the one-way mirror, we see Robinette and Logan leaves the interrogation room to go out and talk to him. And he thinks, and, and Robinette says, like, he'll press charges for manslaughter. And Kragan, of course, is like, really? Like, this was just a man helping out his wife at the end of her life? And Robinette says, like, yeah, but all we have is his word about that. No evidence that this wasn't a, like, murder. And so we have to charge him to, like, make sure this wasn't a murder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um they go interview the daughter, whose name is Mara. And she says that her mom had been depressed for the past few weeks, but uh, she says, like, oh, she's physically the same as she's always been for the last couple of years. Like, she she indicates that there wasn't really a decline in her physical well-being. Um, and she says, like, I didn't know that she was getting worse. Um, and she says that her mom had been talking about looking forward to her son's uh, bar mitzvah. So she thinks really highly of her dad and says that he was her her mother's rock and... He was very stoic and didn't let any emotions show. And she says that he knew what it was like for her, her meaning the mom, Mm -hmm. uh, what she's been through being in the camps. So she says that when she was a child, her mother would wake up screaming every night with uh, night terrors, nightmares about the concentration camp that she was in. And back at the station... We learned that her husband, David, is an insomniac as well. He also has trouble sleeping. He's been taking sleeping pills for 10 years, presumably to also deal with the, um, you know, trauma of having been involved in or, you know, part of being in the con- a concentration camp is what we're led to believe at this moment. Right. So the police are kind of like debating, Do did we, did, you know, the mother really want to die or not? And they don't really have enough cause to charge him with murder. And so Robinette at this point is thinking we'll charge him with assisted suicide. So we cut to Stone, uh, D.A. Stone, or sorry, A.D.A. Stone and D.A. Schiff, the old man, the <laughs> old man behind the curtain. <laughs> and the they're room. talking about like <laughs> weather. Yes, room. <laughs> the Skexies. I can never say that word right. Skek- Skeksis? Eh, I'm too skexies for this court, goodbye. So they're debating whether or not to charge the father, and Schiff seems to think that a jury would be really sympathetic to him. Like, no matter what we charge him with, they're gonna see like his wife, who had MS and was like in her late seventies, who had survived the concentration camps and was in pain. Like, they're gonna be they're gonna sympathize with the husband having helped her end her life, and so we we're not gonna win a case. And so he says, like, just offer him a plea deal and let's let's move on. Stone and Robinette go to meet with David, the the father, and his daughter Mara is there and also their lawyer. And Stone is essentially telling them that they're going to have to bring charges against him, um, that they're bound by the law to bring charges because they don't have any evidence to indicate anything other than perhaps a a, a murder or an assisted suicide. And the the daughter is really trying to appeal to Stone, saying that, like, I've already lost my mother. I can't lose my father as well. Like, they've had such awful lives. Please don't do this to our family. Yeah. But Stone says, your dad walked into the crime scene confessing to having killed his wife. Like, that's the only evidence we have at this point. And the defense lawyer for David hands a motion to Stone to essentially have the confession excluded from evidence because he says that his client was denied counsel. And Stone's like, what are you talking about? And essentially, he claims that, his, that David, when he went into the room, asked to speak with his daughter, and his daughter is a social worker. And so he's arguing that that is a request for counsel and that they didn't you know, get his daughter there when he asked for it and so it's essentially an inadmissible confession. Hmm. We Sounds know that this is <laughs> fish. Yes. We know that based on what we saw in the opening scene that this was not true. So but you know, whose whose evidence do they have? It's kind of a uh his word against theirs. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to take a little sip of water. Drink that water. Thank you. So <laughs> In chambers with the judge, who is reviewing the motion to have the confession dismissed or excluded, I guess I should say, um, they're debating whether asking for a social worker counts as asking for counsel. And especially in this case, because it's his daughter. And so they're like, mm, this is like a personal request. This isn't a request for counsel. And But the judge asks David, like, why did you ask for your daughter. And he says, he says, he told the cops that his daughter was a social worker and would know what to do. And Stone immediately is, like, shocked disgusted. By and disgusted because he knows this is not what happened. And he recognizes this lie.
1: The, the look on his face is like a little kid when, like, his like best friend lies about what yes. just happened in front of a teacher like <gasps> oh, oh my god he's li- oh my god he's lying oh my god very much
0: <laughs> yes exactly that <clears throat> so um but regardless the judge rules in David's favor and the confession is ruled inadmissible uh. so Logan and Briscoe are <sighs> this is such this is such a weird episode mm. Logan and Briscoe go to the medical examiner's office to check the toxicology reports on the mother's death. And it was a rule. This is also an unnecessary scene. The medical examiner is like, looking at the thing. And she says, Oh, it's an overdose of benzodiazepine. 900 milligrams were in her stomach, which is enough to kill her. But then she goes, Wait, someone messed up here. And Logan and Briscoe are like, What do you mean? And she says that the amount that was absorbed at her in her body at the time of her death is insufficient to cause respiratory failure. Like it was enough medication to eventually kill her, but it is not what killed her. Right. And, but it was respiratory failure that she died from. And so Logan is like, maybe somebody choked her. And at this point I was writing to myself in my notes. I was like, uh, What do you mean? Like, don't you think you would notice strangulation marks on her? It was just a weird thing to say in that moment, but we'll we'll get to the explanation for that. So they go and speak with the neighbors to see, like, did you hear anything? Uh, What can you tell us about the couple? And we learned that they had a huge argument the night of her death. And uh, this neighbor woman says that she heard the, the door close and him leave the apartment. And she says this was 1030 p.m and they're like are you sure and she says yes i work the i think i think she says night shift she's a nurse and her shift started at 11 so she knows it was prior to 11 and at about 10:30 before she left yeah but the upstairs neighbor mrs curlers says it was midnight <laughs> and so they're like what happened and so logan says what he thinks is that david left the apartment and then came back and and then he says, and I think I know why. And he leads Briscoe over to the closet in the apartment, and he shows Briscoe a pillow that has blood on it. And he yeah. says that the pillow matches the armchair in the bedroom. So why would it be in the closet? Why would it be bloody?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So Logan's theory is that David gave his wife the pills, and when he came back and she wasn't dead, he, quote, finished the job and it's ironic because he's like he killed her but she would have died eventually from this amount of pills so uh he didn't he just was impatient he thinks right. and like wanted her to die and he smothered her with a pillow
1: and logan just knew just knew yeah. there would be a bloody pillow from the other room and the bedroom closet. closet just knew it
0: yeah yeah so they talk with craigan and we learn that the couple also worked together they i guess owned a tailor shop and Cragen says (laughs) this is the weirdest quote well they're too old to argue about sex maybe it was about money (laughs) because old people never have sex
1: stupid
0: so they head down to the tailor shop and speak to some of the workers and the woman that they speak with says that she they were you know a really nice couple and she only ever really heard them raise their voices at each other when there was some like news in the paper about poland And I guess they get this like Polish newspaper, and about three weeks ago, she remembers the wife getting really upset with her husband about something that she read in the paper about Poland. So they head to the library to find a record of whatever this article might have been, and there's they're kind of thumbing through the microfiche with the librarian. It's it's not microfiche, (laughs) but I just like saying that word. Um, And they find an article about conviction of a Nazi war criminal. And it was a German officer who was sentenced to death. And there were other people who were part of the trial and they were tried in absentia because they couldn't be found. Um, But they were from, they were, you know, officers or, or collaborators with the Nazis at this concentration camp. So now at this point, they're wondering if maybe these, like, these men who were tried in absentia, maybe their conviction has something to do with why... Uh, the husband killed his wife so they go talk to the daughter and and like read her the names from the article to see if she knows anyone and she says like no i don't recognize any of them but she says that her mother had a hard time shutting out the nightmares she was seeing a therapist about it uh, but she stopped going a few months ago so they're like all right maybe the therapist no this is a, a very like chasing a rabbit hole of an episode yeah yeah so they go talk to the therapist and he of course is like this is privileged information. He's also a rabbi mm-hmm. um, can't tell you what what we talked about individually um, but they ask him about the names in the paper and <clears throat> there are multiple times in this episode where the the name that kind of like rings a bell for him is the name Jakob schoolman. And they there I think are like at least three different scenes where when the police say that name to somebody, they go, Ah, Schoolman. Like the, it's just like this weird, like lore type reference. Um, yeah. anyway, so he says, Yes, our therapy group talked about Jakob Schoolman at length, and they he sends the police to another woman who was part of this therapy group. So they go talk to her, and she tells them that Jakob Schoolman was Jewish, and he was an apprentice tailor, and he, I guess, um, kind of like ran a, essentially like a sweatshop in the concentration camp, um, forcing the the prisoners to sew Nazi uniforms, and she describes him as a brute, and he would beat them if they didn't make their quota for making uniforms. Uh. And she says that she, you know, Ursula, the dead woman, that they talked about Jakob Schoolman because um, Ursula thought she might know him. So, again, Ursula is the the woman who was killed. And so Logan and Briscoe go, like, try to dig into this Jakob Schoolman name to see what else they could learn, why maybe she was looking into it, how she could have known him. And so they go to the Center for Holocaust Studies, and a research person there is helping them look up information on Schoolman. He finds a photograph of Schoolman, but it is from 50 years ago, so it's not, like, crystal clear or anything. But they make a a leap of uh, logic that I was perplexed by, where they suddenly are thinking, maybe David is Jakob Schoolman. Right. And, like, maybe his wife found out that he was a, like, Nazi sympathizer, collaborator, etc., And she found out and he killed her. It was very Matlock
1: murder she wrote
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was like like,
1: uh, over the top kind of jump. Yes.
0: It felt far fetched to me, but you're gonna recap the crime and maybe it's not. I don't know. Hmm. So Stone is very uncomfortable, but he you know, he's a very letter of the law person, and so he says, Go arrest David for murder And it's kind of like, let's use this arrest to find out if he is Jakob Schoolman and like changed his identity when he came to the United States so in stone's office the daughter mara is again appealing to stone to drop this she says my mother wouldn't have wanted this and stone is very insensitive and is like well do you know that your father smothered your mother with a pillow like are you sure that you don't want him to be tried for this and he kind of tells her that he thinks that her father might actually be Jakob schoolman and if he is he will get 25 to life for the murder of ursula In a scene at the Department of Immigration, Robinette finds files on David's entry into the country, but nothing about Jakob Schoolman. So they go to the Center for Holocaust Studies, and there, the researcher provides Robinette with a record of 131 men who had immigrated to the United States from the concentration camp that this uh, woman had been in, and gives them the numbers that had been tattooed on these men's arms when they had been... Uh, when they immigrated to the United States. Stone tries to get David to prove his innocence by showing him the number tattooed on his arm so that he can prove that he's not Jakob Schoolman. And he resists. And of course, they're talking about how insensitive this is. This is like a a big trauma for any survivor of the Holocaust to like force somebody to prove that they're not a a sympathizer with the Nazis, but ultimately a George a judge forces him to show his tattoo and we find out that the numbers tattooed on his arm are part of the list of this hundred and thirty one men, making it possible that he is indeed Jakob Schoolman. Mm-hmm. So Stone gets visited, meanwhile, by a member of the Department of Justice who has, I guess, caught wind or is representing Poland and has got caught wind of this case. And he wants to extradite David to Poland, David or Jakob, to Poland, which Stone is really upset about because he's like kind of between a rock and a hard place of he thinks he is Jakob Schoolman and he did... uh, commit all of these horrible war crimes while he was in Poland. But if he lets him be extradited, then there's no justice for the murder of Ursula. So it's kind of like if he tries the case, he will get justice for Ursula and not for all of the people um, in the uh, concentration camp that Jakob had abused. So it's, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't, essentially sort yeah. of decision that Stone is really struggling with. So Schiff tells Stone like, our priority has to be our jurisdiction. So you bring this man to trial. So we get a a little uh, Supreme Court hearing where Stone and the uh, person representing Poland are arguing for a judge as to who should have the right to try Jakob first. And ultimately the judge rules that Stone should get uh, the dibs, (laughs) the dibs essentially. And so we, we get to try Jakob in New York. So, at David's trial, we get a lot of testimonials about how awful the concentration camp was, but we, at this point, honestly still don't know that David actually is Jacob. Like, that has not been confirmed. But they get the counselor slash rabbi on the stand who says that um, Ursula had come to him and and had talked about how she wondered if her husband was Jacob because there were too many similarities. He had come from the same camp. Um, he like kind of sort of matches that photograph. He was an apprentice tailor. So like there's too many similarities and it. It kind of rang some alarm bells for her. And so the daughter now come gets on the stand and she suddenly mentions a will that she says her mother showed her a few days before her death, which is like totally new information. Um, and like, I guess she's essentially lied to make up this story to kind of, um, absolve her father, of the murder and so stone is like pissed as hell at her he goes and talks to her and he says you are now a defendant in this case because you have committed perjury perjury on the stand and you are now an accessory after the fact to murder so i will be charging you with these crimes so there's kind of again the scene like stone is really struggling in this episode because he's like now i'm now he's i'm pissed. essentially like tearing this whole family apart with all of these cases mm-hmm. so all of the parties meet in stone's office and And the the father says that he will plead guilty to a lesser crime if the charges against his daughter are dropped. And at this point, the father finally admits that he is Jakob and that he had been complicit with the Nazis. But his kind of explanation for that is, like, I, like, you, you don't understand, like, if we weren't valuable, then we would be killed. And so, like, yes, I was hard and awful on these people, but I was just trying to extend their lives, is what he says was kind of his thought process for being part of helping the Nazis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In the concluding scene with Robinette and Stone and Schiff, Stone is kind of just like wondering aloud that, you know, if I were being beaten and I were being starved, would I have made the same choices as David slash Jakob? And that is the end of the episode.
1: <sighs>
0: lots of feelings I've, lots of matt, emotions by the way when i texted matt and found out that i had recapped the wrong episode matt was like basically like we'll get your life together because i watched a five-part documentary series re- researching this crime so i am not gonna give that up and i was like fair fair that's right <sighs> all right what do you got for me okay are you ready uh, i mean probably not because we're about to talk about the holocaust but yeah sure Well, we're not going to talk about
1: it too much, but it's events involving and surrounding the Holocaust. So this is going to be a story about a man named John Demjanyuk. Okay. Demjanyuk. I'm pretty good at at saying it when I practiced, so we'll see if it sounds a little more natural as we go. (laughs) Uh, Yes. All right. Have you heard of him? No, I have not. Should I have? So the only reason you might know of it, other than me, but you tell me, but is there's a Netflix documentary series, like I mentioned, called mm-hmm. The Devil Next Door about him.
0: Oh, that sounds really familiar. I've
1: had it on my, like, two-watch list forever, but just I don't really know exactly what it's about, so it's never compelled me enough to watch it. Okay. So when this week came and I saw that this was about it, I was like, oh, nice. All right. Hmm. So... Um, I uh, began – this is crazy. So I began my episode with the words picture it. And that makes me remind myself to just talk about the very sad, tragic loss of Betty White this this
0: week of us recording. Okay, here's the good news about her passing. (laughs) Mm. That sounds weird. But she had, like, been really – she was just, like, two weeks away from turning 100. Yeah. And I saw somebody post on the internet that – if you take leap years into account, she actually lived to a, the, her hundredth birthday. Oh yeah, so, I love that. That's good, at least. I lo- and you know what? She's she's with all her girls. She's yeah. with all her friends, having cheesecake in the sky. Wh- which can I say? I, when she passed, I realized that the Golden Girls was in the eighties, and it was a show about like older women. From and it was a show forty years ago, and, mm-hmm. she, and 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 she was still alive. Like that alone is kind of mind blowing. to me. I
1: know, I know. Anyway, love you, Betty White. <laughs> picture it: <laughs> the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio, okay. in the early nineteen seventies. So I've never
0: been to Cleveland, so I can't really picture it. Me neither, but it's it's quiet. It's Isn't that where we're talking suburban?
1: We're talking suburban. It's not like Cleveland the city. It's the the suburbs.
0: And Cleveland, um, that's where Drew Carey is that show was, right? Yeah. God speak of a show, I wonder how that holds up. I'm wondering too, because just the thought of watching Mimi Yeah.
1: There was a lot makeup. of
0: a lot of fat jokes and a lot of body shaming for Mimi, I think.
1: And a lot of like probably sort of queer yeah. transphobic
0: yeah. feels, you know. Yeah, I'm I wondering. Hmm, yeah. I think great. there's a lot of things that don't hold up.
1: <laughs> hey. We're we're all growing. We're all beautiful little flowers. Yeah. So, John Demjanyuk is living in Cleveland, Ohio. It's the early 70s, early 1970s. He is in his early 50s. Mm -hmm. He lives with his wife, Vera, which is my grandma's name. Was my grandma's name. It's a great name. Isn't it great? Her her name was Elvira, but we called her, everyone called her Vera.
0: Her name, your grandmother's name was Elvira? Yeah. That is too cool. Isn't that the best? Elvira and Salvatore. You have some great names in your family. Yeah. I, I
1: that that's one of my favorites. Yeah. I, I'm my grandma Vera. So, uh, John lives with his wife Vera and their three children and he works as a United Auto Workers engineering mechanic, mechanic, I said mechanic weird, uh, for Ford, for his local Ford company, uh, warehouse okay. distribution center, whatever they're called factory. Um, he's originally from the Ukraine And he had come to the U.S. with his wife and first daughter in the early 1950s by way of New York City, as most did at the time. And everyone at his company is a big fan of him. They all love him. Um, His bosses are also really big fans of him. They say that he's easy to be around. He's likable. um, And like many of his Ukrainian colleagues at the factory that emigrated over with similar backgrounds, he is incredibly hardworking. Nobody has a, a bad thing to say about him.
0: Matt, um, Bob Saget just died.
1: <gasps> no, he did not.
0: Yeah. like Literally, like, it's just hitting the news. Wow.
1: Okay, so very sad. Yeah. Bob Saget. I mean, a part of all of our
0: television heritage. And ironically, um, like, a very wow. blue comedian relative yeah. to his uh, Full House character. I have to say,
1: big fan of him as, like, a character in, like, the zeitgeist of my
0: life not a huge fan of his comedy i don't i actually i will confess i never watched full house and i never watched his comedy so like i actually associate him with uh america's funniest home videos
1: oh yeah which that we was didn't really watch my, much either but yeah. that was probably my favorite version of bob saget actually Gosh, how sad oh it is really sad well rest in peace bob saget i hope that yeah. that it didn't it wasn't a challenging end you know yeah Wow, what a death. Okay, and here sorry. we go
0: talking about this. I know. <laughs>
1: well, thanks for keeping me in the know <laughs> and our listeners. Now, now you guys the headliners, know. Headliners, I we're think, recording. is what you mean. Oh yeah, the headliners are absolutely right. <laughs> so, likable guy works at Ford. He's living what most would call a pretty ordinary life of little consequence in the very low key Cleveland suburb of Seven Hills, and in August of nineteen seventy seven. John Demjanjuk discovers that for the past two years, he, among some others, were being considered under investigation for war crimes associated with Nazis in World War
0: Two. He like finds this out that he's under investigation. Yeah, okay. it doesn't
1: really say like what he, that he was arrested, but he obviously becomes aware. Like, yeah, the like, investigation goes public. Exactly. They, yeah. I think they call him in. So okay. John in particular was one of nine individuals on an official INS list uh, identified as a guard known as Ivan the Terrible.
0: It's kind of wild that um like you know before computers and like DNA and all that stuff like people totally were able to pick up and start a completely different life with right. a totally made up backstory. Isn't right. that wild to think about? It
1: is insane. Like, yeah. we always hear stories of people like, who are on the run and doing all this stuff. And I think about how do people do that? And then right. I remember, like, back, especially back this far, it's like, yeah, you could just go complete, live a life of complete newness and yeah. not have to ever talk to anyone again. Totally. I mean, people still go missing constantly. Yes, yes, yes. And a lot of them for, want to. Yeah. This guard, Ivan the Terrible, was known for being especially sinister in his handlings of Jews at concentration camps. Nine survivors from the Treblinka concentration camp identified John as Ivan from the mm. photo lineups provided
0: to them, and he's just been living as like a mechanic in Cleveland. Yeah, just like wow. living a pretty chill life. I mean, I guess what else do you do but try to hide? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this is all alleged. He says
1: this is not. He is not this person. Okay. Um, of the men in this lineup that was shown to the survivors of Treblinka were men like uh, Yodor Federinko, who was someone who already admitted their guilt. Mm -hmm. Um, So on the list of of these suspects, a couple of them were already admitted their guilt without even questioning. Um, So none of the survivors knew his face as John. Okay. All of them who knew him said, that's Ivan the Terrible. Oh, wow. So the photo – they show John is from his alleged visa application photo to go to America. Mm -hmm. And on this application, John indicates that he trained at Travniki, which is a, um, a camp. It's called like a relocation camp. I think it's, you know, during world war two, um, a camp where no one was actually killed, but people were like sort of relocated and treated poorly.
0: Yeah. Like a kind of like the Japanese internment camps kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, um, on this application, he says he worked at uh, Sabidor uh, after tra- after being w- trained at Travniki. Mm-hmm. And Sabidor was a a death camp, a uh, concentration camp. And it's a different one um, than Treblinka, which is where people are were survivors who were identifying him from. Um, and to be clear, none of the survivors recognized him from Sabidor. Even the ones that were at both or people who were only one or the other, only the nine from Treblinka. Mm-hmm. The opposite of tr- is true of his alleged fellow guards. In 1979, three guards identify him as being a colleague of theirs at Sabidor, but one of little notoriety, no one who would have like a nickname or something. Yeah. And no one recognizes him from Treblinka, none of the hmm. guards. Hmm. So it's kind of swapped there. Yeah. Regardless of all of this, the U.S. Office of Special Investigations, which is referred to I think most of the time in my writing as OSI. Okay. Um, uh, they work for the Department of Justice. They decide that this is enough evidence to allow for them to revoke John's citizenship mm. for the United States based on his involvement at Nazi death camps. Yeah. Um, which should have just allowed him from becoming a citizen in the first place. Right. They decide to prosecute him as Ivan the Terrible, and suddenly the life of the Demniyans would never be the same. He is, by the way, still <sighs> saying, "I don't know what you're talking about. I was not in any camps. I yeah. was not. This was not my life at all."
0: Which I will say, in the episode that I covered, I I didn't mention this part, but the daughter talks about like kind of the collateral damage of mm-hmm. of her dad essentially being found out as a Nazi sympathizer or collaborator, and uh, how, like, she said that, you know, the people who love us will spit in our face and turn away from mm-hmm. us forever. Like, the, the collateral damage of that kind of thing would be horrendous. Oh, it, it, absolutely. He
1: claims that his only connection to anything over there was that he was a uh, German war criminal. Okay. So he was, like, arrested during those times and, like, forced to work for them. Okay. So a little bit about the actual Ivan the Terrible, who this guy is alleged to be, and Treblinka um, concentration camp. Okay. This is the only time I'm going to talk about statistics and stuff specific about the Holocaust, other than things related to these people. Okay. Um, I thought about a lot about that. Yeah. How I'm going to handle this, because I don't want to be disrespectful right. and gloss over the horrific events that happened at the Holocaust. Yeah. But I also don't want to, that's not what this story is. Is about okay, um, and I don't want to use pain in a way that feels like I'm sensationalizing it. Yeah, type. do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Just yeah. to for like impact. So yeah, it's a difficult all...
0: line to walk. If if we do anything incorrectly or say anything, please let it, please know that we are open to correction. exactly.
1: That's what I was going to say. If if this feels and to you too, and feel free to stop me. But if this feels like in any way like I'm doing one or the other or something else entirely, I'd love to be told about it and um let know because i feel like i don't want to you know i don't want to unnecessarily you know say we all know or should know the absolute carnage and 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 obscenities and horror horror that happened during the holocaust at these concentration camps um this is a reminder but i don't want to i don't want to live there for too long Okay, so, okay. Just a little bit about the, the characters, though, that are important, which is Ivan the Terrible and the location of Treblinka. So, okay. um The experience of Treblinka is noted mostly by a survivor named, and I'm forgive me if I say the name wrong, but I think it's Jankiel Viernek. Okay. Um, he wrote a book called, translated to English, A Year in Treblinka and explains mm-hmm. his whole experience there. So a lot of what is known about Treblinka is from his... his um, memoir, Mm -hmm. novel. Mm -hmm. Um, It was managed by about 25 Soviet overseers and about 100 Soviet guards. 850,000 Jews were killed at this death camp. Wow! It houses one of the largest still Jewish graveyards in the world. Um, Survivors say that people were usually tortured for about two hours before they were killed. (sighs) Ivan the Terrible was known to be particularly sinister. He did a lot of unnecessary um, abuses of power and physical abuses and psychological torture on the prisoners there. Um, in I, Of course, it's all unnecessary, but a lot of things that was not ordered. Yeah. Um, he was known to sometimes cut off a nose or an ear Oof. of a prisoner just in the middle of their day, and they would have to continue working um, without that nose or ear, um, sometimes so he'd he, stab people for no reason while they were working throughout their day, just kind of walking around. So he really earned that nickname. Exactly. Um, he um, was. Someone said that when people would scream, sometimes they would be put in a pit of blood um, by him, and he his job was to operate the the gas chamber, like the the Ugh, switches. God. And so when people were on their way to the gas chamber, he was known to, like, stop them with no reason and and torture them before they went in.
0: Jesus fucking Christ.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so um, of the people who went to Treblinka, approximately 70 survived.
0: Oh, my God.
1: 70 and 850 were killed. Um, it operated between... July 23rd of 1942 and October 19th of 1943 during the deadliest phase of Hitler's final solution. And this camp has the highest death count outside of Auschwitz.
0: When you said 800, do you mean 800,000? 800, 850,000.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the enormity of what we're talking about when we're talking about who this guy is being accused of being. Yeah. Which is huge for someone who says that he's not at all involved.
0: Yeah. Throughout all of
1: this, um, as I said, he says it's mistaken identity. He has nothing to do with any camps. He says he met his wife in the 50s. He was working as a driver at a displaced persons camp, mm. which, you know, operated to help people afterwards. Yeah. They, they have the wrong guy, he says. Um, it should be noted, however, his name previously was Ivan. Hmm. Um, he changed it to John when he became a naturalized citizen in 1958. Um, which is something he's never disputed but okay that was his name previous to 1958 Ivan okay okay in 1981 his citizenship was revoked for having lied on his visa application, as we said, was, you know, something in the works. Yeah. Um, he claims he never worked as a concentration camp guard. He lied about it on that application for fear of being sent back to the Soviet Union because it was a prisoner of the Germans mm-hmm. previously. And he was forced into labor at Travniki. So that's why he was at Travniki. Okay. Um, he says the card that they that they have on him that has his photo on it and stuff and all this information is a fake he says it's a forgery. Right. The authenticity of the card, however, is confirmed by U.S. government experts, as well as the former paymaster at Travniki, whose name is Heinrich Schaefer. Okay. He says these cards were standard order. Okay. We have five survivors now who are willing to testify against him and identify him as the Treblinka guard, Ivan the Terrible. Mm-hmm. And there is a former SS guard at Treblinka named Otto Horn, Who also identifies John as Ivan. Okay. Demyanuk applies for political asylum after his citizenship is revoked, but this is denied in May of 1984. So he's delayed a little bit, but it's all denied, and so you know it looks like people believe he is Ivan the Terrible. Yeah. Headlines at the time were quote Your neighbor is a Nazi or Six Million Never Again. And outrage is sparked in both the Jewish and Ukrainian communities, especially.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ukrainians fully support Dmyanuk's claims that this is false identity. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of evidence for that as well. You know, um, as a matter of fact, the trial where he lost his citizenship, two guards from Treblinka testify that John was not there. He was not Ivan. Certainly not him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, supporters of Dmyanuk Demi- think this is a setup, and they think it's. Um, a setup by the Communist Party. Mm -hmm. Jews, on the other hand, are shocked and outraged that he is allowed to be on American soil still and call for his immediate deportation. Mm -hmm. Under the Nazis' and Nazi collaborators' punishment law of 1950, and this next part, which is what that is, I just copied and pasted. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that law criminalizes crimes. Sorry. Yeah, that law... Uh, criminalizes crimes against humanity, war crimes, and, quote, qu- crimes against the Jewish people, as well as a variety of lesser offenses. Mm-hmm. It has a number of unusual provisions, including a mandatory death sentence for the most serious crimes laid out in the law. Hmm. So under that law, um, in 1983, Israel issued an extradition order to request to have Demian Yuk's, uh, you know, sent back there to stand trial for his war. Potential war crimes as Ivan oh, the Terrible this is really matching on to the uh episode yeah, so far right so his defense again against the claim is that you know the evidence that was prevent pr- provided against him in the previous trial or in you know in that decision was non-existent or it was doctored by the KGB he says but the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear his appeal declined to hear his appeal and he was deported to Israel on February 28th of 1986. At a press conference shortly after landing on soil over there, he's shouting shalom to everybody and smiling. Hmm. And his family says they're not worried about him in interviews. You know, this is all going to get cleared up. So the optics are a little strange. A lot of people are saying, look, he, look he's just a regular guy. He's just acting like a regular guy because... You know, he knows justice is going to prevail. He's not the guy they want, so he's going to come home. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people who say, look, look how disrespectful he is being what he's accused of. And look how he's just acting like like how he's acting. Yeah. So the accusation by the prosecution, which is led by Israeli state prosecutor Eli Gabay or yeah, Gabay, was that Ivan and John are, in fact, the same person, uh, a guard in Treblinka who operated the gas chamber's petrol engines. Mm -hmm. He was recruited into the Soviet army in 1940, they allege, and that he lied on his application listing Sobidor to throw them off from Treblinka. Sobidor was another smaller uh, death camp. Okay. To discredit this forgery, um, the forgery accusations, the prosecution had everything on this document, this sort of like um, application, not application, this sort of Treblinka uh card, identity card. They have everything on it tested from handwriting to the glue to the ink and it all comes back, you know, authentic. Yeah. When asked, John says, I'm innocent quote, I'm innocent, innocent, innocent. Mm-hmm. But on his trial, during his trial, five of the nine survivors who originally identified him as Ivan the Terrible come back and they come forward again to testify against him. The other four who had previously testified that he was Ivan the Terrible, who had identified him as mm-hmm. him in the first place, only didn't attend because I had already passed away. Okay. Um, it's now 1986, 1987, so it's been a long time. Yeah. Survivors like Epstein Pinchas told horror stories on the stand from the death camps. He saw Ivan beat prisoners with a pipe or sword and torture many others, even just on their way to death chambers. He describes a particularly horrific event on the stands of seeing a 12-year-old girl survive a death chamber and say after she came out, I want my mommy. And afterwards, Ivan shoots her. He says that he still dreams of him every night, and when he goes to bed, there he is, here he stands.
0: Which is, like, so specific and... Yeah. Like, so it, it it seems so
1: credible. It seems so credible. Yeah. The defense tries to object to Survivor's accounts at death camps after a couple of them um, being shared. And mm-hmm. he gets absolutely, like, reamed by the judges on the stand saying, like, how dare you suggest that these people can't tell their stories. Um, it does not go over well at all for his side, of course. Another testimony that ends up being – one of the other testimonies that's supposed to come forward ends up being barred. It gets looked at as unreliable and thrown out. Um, Another person seemed confused, so their testimony is thrown out. But in a moment of particular impact, survivor Eliyahu Rosenberg asked that John take off his glasses because he wants to see his eyes. So he takes them off, and the survivor is allowed to approach John, the defendant. And when he gets close to him, John smiles a little bit, and he reaches out his hand for a handshake. And the survivor recoils and shouts out, I'm going to say this word wrong, but it's grozny, hmm. which means terrible. Um. And then he shouts out, Ivan. Uh. And he says, quote, when he gets back to the stand, I say it unhesitatingly without the slightest shadow of a doubt. It is Ivan from Treblinka from the gas chambers, the man I am looking at now. Wow. He continues on says, I saw his eyes. I saw those murderous eyes. How dare you put out your hand, the murderer that you are. Um, the other guard from the previous decision, Otto Horn, testifies again and says that, you know, Ivan is John. And John, uh, another survivor, Joseph Cherney, said he found himself, quote, fighting to survive. I was their child toy of sadism. And mm-hmm. then you looked at John and shouted, Why did you kill them? Why did you kill them all in the courtroom? Wow. Really, like, emotional. Yeah. So his defense, which was originally going to be by, led by Mark O'Connor, who he ends up firing, who is in the documentary and he's still not over it, kind of. It's kind of weird. Okay. Um, he ends up being, getting his defense led by a controversial Israeli attorney named Yoram Sheftel. Okay, he loves being the bad boy of the courtroom. He loves being interviewed for the documentary. Hmm. He loves the media circuit. Uh, there's not a single clip they show of him, and there are many where he's not like, Holding does court, not have a basically. shit-eating grin on his face. Yeah. yeah. Um, some used to describe some words used to describe him by those who knew him are quote a showboat, a hmm. traitor, larger than life, and shameful. Wow. So. He claims that this identification card was a KGB forgery. Hmm. He has an expert witness testify to all of this as well, who was very highly respected at the time. He also challenged the way that the survivors were interviewed originally and called the whole thing a show trial.
0: Hmm.
1: One of the survivors couldn't remember their own children's names, and he comes after him for this on the stand and totally discredits him. How awful. I know. Um, Another felt... Like, uh, another he in the courtroom shows that they were basically led to identify John, that John was not the first person that they pointed out. Um, there was an application for refugee assistance that was presented during trial that was allegedly filled out by Jim Yanyuk and on it, it had, you know, things like worked at Sobidor and such And that was, you know, strong evidence against him. The defense says that this was actually filled out by the clerk for John, and the clerk misunderstood John while they were helping fill it out. Mm -hmm. And John said that he was advised to lie and put down Sobidor, where he had never, like, worked um, other than to farm in his life, um, to avoid any repatriation efforts to the Soviet Union that he might face if he was mistaken for a guard. Right. So he's also, um, the defense attorney, Sheftel is also able to cross-examine an expert facial recognition witness for the prosecution. Um, she had been on the stand previously and presented very well how the one photo they have of Ivan, which is very old, kind of like the photo in the episode and hard to decipher, uh-huh. how it looks like um, Damian old ID card. Uh-huh. And she does really well when she's on the stand. Now with he cross-examining her she is completely pulverized like wow everything looks like she was making near guesses it's proven on the sand that she was like stretching certain photos to like fit what she wanted it's terrible it's terrible um it's embarrassing so among the photo of ivan versus Jones. oh yeah so among the photo of ivan the, terrible, the actual photo of him versus John's old photo looking different, details between the two seem very off from different <laughs> accounts, including birthplace and details about the documents themselves, like signatures and stamps, he argues, also look debatable. Hmm. Also, notably, through Damianuk's supporters living in Washington, D.C., the defense was also able to acquire, and this is kind of wild, internal osi notes that had been thrown into a dumpster without being shred Mm -hmm. they there was like this unit of people that support john that were waiting outside of the office of the osi because they were next to a mcdonald's Mm -hmm. and sometimes they would throw garbage out in the mcdonald's dumpsters Uh uh-huh and so they waited at the mcdonald's dumpsters daily and just picked through the garbage every day Uh Every time they found a, a a bag from the OSI, so wow. they finally, through doing this, the defense is also, def- they're able to acquire an internal OSI set of notes, that had been, you know, thrown out, mm-hmm. and it indicated very clearly that Otto Horn, that SS guard that identifies him from Treblinka as his colleague, yeah, in fact, had a great deal of difficulty identifying Demianuk and he had been prompted to make the identification. Interesting, these documents were tried were destroyed. they were pieced back together. They were ripped up into pieces, not shredded though. Um, they showed that there were also serious doubts about Demionic being Ivan before being extradited and um speaking of wrong identification, they also found a nineteen forty seven document that was sixty four pages long
0: uh-huh.
1: written by Rosenberg. Rosenberg is the survivor who told John to take his glasses off,
0: okay, okay.
1: This document details how he, it's written by Rosenberg, and it details how he and some friends teamed up to kill Ivan the Terrible themselves in or around 1946. Wow. Okay. Um, on the stand, he I mean, says, yes, I wrote this, but it was like a fictional fantasy story. Like, mm-hmm. because of their trauma, it was something he wished for. Um right. And he wrote it as like a, almost like a therapeutic thing. Yeah. Not an actual thing. On the stand for the defense john John um, expresses regret for the tragedies he's hearing about Jimmy auk um and he says that you know the survivors and the victims what they faced was terrible and egregious, but it's not him. He says quote "My heart is pure, I am innocent and he says he had only been in Sobodor working on a farm, and he pleads with the court not to punish him for the crimes of another person
0: hmm.
1: on april eighteenth nineteen eighty eight The Jerusalem District Court found Demianuk guilty of all charges related to Ivan the Terrible, and the judge says, quote, Before us is a horrible and shocking indictment. Its words and burning in its story bring terror. It is terrible and bitter truth that we are asked to uncover in order to determine if the accused took part in these crimes. Hmm. A week later, Demianuk is sentenced to death by hanging— and while in solitary, awaiting appealing of this decision, Damiani could hear the gallows that would be used to hang him being constructed outside. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. On July 29th, 1993, the Israeli Supreme Court actually overturns his verdict on appeal, hmm. saying there was actually not enough reasonable doubt to say that he was Ivan the Terrible. Um, they agree that he has a shaky alibi, And they agree in the validity of that document from Travniki, the camp, but they don't have any evidence to say that he is actually Ivan the Terrible. So there was – the reason this decision was made in 1993 was because in 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed. And Hmm. so all of these documents, uh, you know, storage rooms upon storage rooms have been unearthed and made public. And – in some Soviet documents, it shows that while his identification card was real, the documents actually list him as what's called a Wachman, walk, which I'm sure is Watchman, which means hmm. Watchman, yeah. yeah it's yeah, W-A-C-H-M-A-N-N. Okay. Um, and that's what his role was at Sobidor, and he was not at Tramplinka Hmm. It's also in Soviet documents that there are 37 statements from separate guards, each identifying Ivan the Terrible as a man named Ivan Marchenko. Huh. Many other statements, 21 others uh, actually, describe Ivan the Terrible with descriptions that are totally opposite to Dmyrnyuk, from hair color, height, age, weight, complexion, eye color, everything. A scar, a really noticeable scar. Um, the Ukraine views Demyanyuk as a hero, and the people of Israel are outraged by all of this. He ends up being released back to the USA, and he's not tried for everything, for anything um, for his role at Sabidor mm-hmm. because all they have is that, you know, signatures on documents. They don't have any evidence of what he actually did or if he did anything. And so he's released, and he's able to go back to the United States. He goes back to Cleveland. And actually, quote, after Demianuk's acquittal in Israel, the panel of judges on the Sixth Circuit ruled against OSI for having committed fraud on the court and having failed to provide exculpatory evidence to Demianuk's defense, end quote. Hmm. So there's even disciplinary action taken against the OSI. Wow. Sheftel after this trial, makes six figures and talks freely about it on every TV show he can get his uh, interviews on, mm-hmm. and he writes a best-selling book about it released immediately afterwards, and he's, he loves being on TV promoting the book. Yeah, He's a lot. He's kind of used car salesman. Yeah, But there's more to the story. <laughs> on February 20th, 1998, Paul Mattia of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Ohio vacates Demyanyuk's denaturalization without prejudice. This time, he's not relying on any eyewitness uh, testimony. They're relying only on documentary evidence, because now that they have all of the stuff that was released in 1991, they at least have proof of his involvement of all of these other camps, such as Flossenburg Concentration Camp, Majdanek Concentration Camp, as himself, as John or Ivan Demyanyuk, not Ivan Mm -hmm. the Terrible. So because of this, Ohio decides again to vacate his denaturalization. In February 2002, his citizenship is again revoked, and he appeals the decision again. This is where the this part of the um, story is kind of confusing because it comes out of nowhere, but it seems, I feel like it's important to mention. So during his appeal for the decision to have a citizen citizenship revoked in February two thousand two, a man named Dove uh, Aitan joins the defense team mm-hmm. and this guy is a uh closeted bisexual attorney, okay, and immediately after joining the defense team, he's very well liked as well. He's very well known um there's repercussions for him. he's sent death threats instantaneously within the first week uh, a bullet is sent to his house with a letter threatening to expose his sexuality which was important to him to keep private sure and so you know he didn't want to risk this and it's unclear of if this is for the same reason but the timing is is too coincidental to -hmm. not mention this five days before the appeal date domiton dies by suicide by jumping from the 15th floor of a building in Jerusalem. Ugh. Because of this, um, Sheftel moves to get the case postponed, of course. Hundreds of people attend Dov's uh, funeral. Mm-hmm. Someone at the funeral throws acid into Sheftel's eyes, Jesus. who was also in attendance. Um, this man was named Yisrael Yeheskeli. Mm-hmm. He is proud of what he did, he doesn't hide it, he mm-hmm. doesn't run away after doing it. He says, quote, in an interview, he started screaming like a pig. I wanted everyone to know that living amongst them was a Nazi collaborator who would sell his mother for money. Oof. Israel uh, serves two years in prison and is ordered to pay 10,000 uh, pounds. He never pays. And after all of this, after all of this that went on, which postponed this appeal decision, after all of this, the appeal is denied. In two thousand four, hmm. so you know this guy joins his team, ends up dying by suicide. This guy, you know, goes to jail for however many years for shooting acid in this guy, other guy's face, for, for nothing. I'm mean, it's all for nothing anyway. But yeah. the appeal is denied anyway in two thousand four. Hmm. Now in two thousand five, he's ordered deportation to Germany. Hmm. Um, oh, I'm sorry, he's ordered deportation to either Germany, Poland, or Ukraine. So Damianuk argues that he needs protection actually and if he went to the Ukraine, which is where he's like primarily from, um, that he would be killed for going there because of the popularity of this of this case mm-hmm. and so he tries to get the whole thing postponed saying he needs protection. this move is denied in 2006 huh. and he appeals again. Which is denied in May 2008. This case is just like denial and appeal and denial. Literally. Exhausting every resource. It's like a tennis match. It is. In 2009, Germany is finally able to seek extradition of this guy, Demjanjuk, to face trial for more than 29,000 counts of accessory to murder for his involvement at Sobidor (sighs) extermination camp alone. Wow. They're not even going to the other ones. They're not even going to try it. He was, face, he was to face trial on November 30th, and in true Demiognuk style, he filed to have the matter of his removal be reassessed by the courts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of back and forth about this, but on April 14th, 2009, the case was supposed to go to trial on November 30th, remember? <laughs> on April 14th, 2009, immigration agents remove him from his home. He is removed, it's televised, he's in a wheelchair, he looks like he's dead. He um His son files for a stay of deportation because of his father's condition, which is temporarily granted, but not for long. Because what they don't know is that in addition to this being filmed, he was being filmed for days before this, and it turns out this was all a sham. Hmm. Before being taken out in the wheelchair, he's seen walking around, getting in and out of cars, laughing, having a good old time. And wow. then all of a sudden, when they come to get him, he's in the wheelchair and he can't move.
0: Yeah.
1: So um, this stay of deportation that was temporarily granted is uh, lifted within, I think, three days. Mm-hmm. And his, uh, he is deported on May eleventh, two 2009 to Munich and immediately arrested and sent to Stadelheim Prison. When trial began, it was still a huge production. Despite there being evidence that he was faking this pain and suffering, he's still in the wheelchair. He's wheeled. In. It is so ridiculous, and yeah. he is like in a wheelchair, almost like completely back, like he's in a, a gurney with blankets. And he barely opens his eyes. He fidgets around. He looks. He looks dead. Mm. Um. Because of this, he's able to stretch the case out for 18 months, beginning in July of 2009. And on May twelfth, two thousand eleven, uh Demyanyuk, aged ninety one, is convicted as an accessory to the murder of twenty seven thousand nine hundred Jews at Sobidor Killing Center. Wow. And he's sentenced to five years in prison with two years served already. Wow. He is released from custody pending his appeal. Um, this was the first time that someone had been convicted solely on the basis of serving as a camp guard with no actual evidence of being involved in death of any specific inmate. So this is the first example of that. There'd be another one. In fact, a list was found in 1973, not in 1973, but from 1973, that the U.S. government was keeping where they were aware of Nazi war criminals living within the U.S. on U.S. territory— Oh, my God. And they were interviewed yearly, simply being asked if they were okay, with no actual concern on if they were dangerous, because they were considered anti-communist, and therefore they were valuable.
0: I I acted surprised by that. I don't know why.
1: Right? I know. For example, one anecdote is shared um, where they say that the father of NASA is named Werner von Braun, and he Mm -hmm. is a known Nazi war criminal. But he ends up making Nazis, making rockets that bomb England, and he, you know, got us to the moon. So when do we pick and choose who is the right and wrong kind of quote-unquote Nazi to, you know, hold accountable? And when do we turn a blind eye? Can
0: I just ask a question, though? Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's great that we made it to the moon. What did it do for us?
1: I I mean, it was cool, and it's a good conspiracy theory, um, (laughs) and it's pretty. Yeah, I just uh, anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, John Demjanjuk eventually dies at an uh you know, elderly person's home in Germany on March seventeenth, two thousand twelve, only a few years later. He was ninety one years old, and because his appeal was never actually officially heard, he's technically presumed innocent under German law. What? Wow. His family has tried to have him buried in the U.S., and many Jewish organizations have opposed this, claiming that his burial site would become, you know, a center for neo-Nazi activity.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: As a compromise, he is actually buried on U.S. soil but at an undisclosed location. Hmm. In early June 2012, his attorneys sought to have his citizenship reissued to him posthumously. Um, They did this twice. They failed each time. There was also an attempt to say that the medication that he was given led to his death— which was also denied there was no evidence that the case was thrown out. Mm -hmm. And that is the full case about John Damianyuk and uh, Ivan the Terrible, who is proven to be a man named Ivan Marchenko, who's never been found. If he was still alive, he would be in his hundreds. So it's very likely that he's just lost. But, yeah. um, yeah.
0: Okay, so he he was a concentration camp guard and trained and all of that. Correct. There's no evidence that he, like, committed any, like, committed any murders or things like that, but he was clearly a member of the camp, a guard at the camps, but he, he was, was not Ivan the Terrible. Yeah,
1: definitely a participant in yeah. the murder of Jewish folk at at least three concentration camps. Yeah. And he has, there is concrete evidence um, and eyewitness testimony of him being violent with people unnecessarily out, you know, not, not by order. So, he is not <laughs> Ivan the Terrible, he is not this person that these people who truly believed it was him, Right. I mean, with all that passion, he's not that guy. He really isn't. They found someone who is that guy. Um, There is possibility that because of his role in Sobidor, he could have worked at Triblinka. Like mm-hmm. for an interim period of time, mm-hmm. because they were known to sometimes share, in like guards, I guess. Okay. But he would still not be Ivan the Terrible because that was identified by somebody, mm. um, by by many many many, many people, wow. from sealed documents that were released in ninety one. Um, but the thing about it is that is tragic because. Uh, that is tragic. Is that, a lot of people talk about this like, oh, who are we believing? Are we believing? you know people who did all these terrible things or are we believing the survivors right. we're not believing the survivors we're saying that the survivors are lying and i yeah. think it's important to say that it's not about the survivors being truthful or not or believing yeah. that, that that what they see is who they believe it to be right but it's about the um not validity but the Efficacy of human memory, basically. Right, 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 right. Like we've talked about many times before. Like, it's been 40-something years. The most traumatic things you've gone through, sure, you'd think maybe, you know, because they were so traumatic, maybe the person's face is burned into your head. Right. But how many people's faces are burned into your head? How many other traumatic things were going on at the time that shaped just the shape of your brain? Totally, yeah. Um, so it's not about not believing the survivors at all. Yeah. It's It's about...
0: Human not memory. believing
1: human memory yeah. as being more valuable than actual accounts from people at the time including other, you know, survivors.
0: Yeah. Wow, that is Pretty wild. nuts, right? Totally. Wow. Great job. Good job. So, not Ivan the Terrible, but terrible.
1: But quite terrible, indeed. Yeah. A different kind of Ivan the Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the artist God. formerly known as Ivan the Terrible. Yeah,
0: wild that they were both named Ivan, too. Yeah. Also, there was a phrase that you said that I didn't, I wanted to make it, I, a joke popped into my head, but I wanted to wait till after because I did not want to tell jokes in the middle of a story about the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, you referenced like a uh, uh, Jewish bisexual lawyer. And oh, yes. the first thing that popped into my head was Jewish bisexual lawyer, Tuesdays at 8pm. <laughs> <laughs> it just it sounded like a TV show. <laughs> On TNC.
1: On TNC. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Um, that so it's wild. How do, you, yeah. how do you, how do you, how do you all, think all these ratings? Yeah. All these ratings. Um, I thought the episode was okay. A little confusing at times. Yeah. And a little yeah. bit like the way they found evidence was a little coincidental. Like they, a lot of conclusions they jumped to like that end up being true, but. Mm. yeah but I mean
0: it was it was entertaining so I'm gonna I'm actually gonna give it a b i'm gonna give yeah it a b. I will say I didn't like it didn't feel as laborious <laughs> to recap as some other episodes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so i'll I would say yeah b minus nice fine.
1: and um, then for the crime gosh. I mean I think a lot of it mirrored it like the the yeah. outcomes were a little different and the the details about her being married to him and sure sure you know they embellished a bit but I mean they much like the real story, there's a lot of debate
0: still. Um yeah. there's a lot left up in the air. Um I, I would thought say they did pretty well. Yeah, I would give it a B, honestly. Like I yeah. mean it, as far as like it really mirrored the real life story and, and didn't didn't really embellish to a degree that felt like sensationalizing it to me. Yeah, I, so. I agree. I'm gonna give it a B plus for the same
1: reasons. Yeah. All right, headliners. <laughs> <laughs> posting comments on the internet can sometimes feel like you're screaming into the void but writing a review for our podcast is actually really helpful because it makes it really a lot more likely that
0: people will find our podcast so go try that now yes and the second best thing you could do is to recommend our podcast to a friend because you have good taste and people respect your opinion
1: And we love, love connecting with our listeners. So feel free to send us an email at RippedHeadlinesPod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook
0: at Ripped Headlines. Don't forget to check out our website, RippedHeadlinesPod.com, where you will find a link to our Patreon that has some great perks, and you get the joy of supporting one of your favorite podcasts. Ooh, we just filmed an episode, filmed, recorded an episode of it. Who did we cover this week? This this was the Bennington Triangle oh my gosh it's 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 good this has everything Everything. (laughs) we've got cryptids if you're not signed up go sign up now (laughs) check
1: it out and also if you're signing up i want you to know that a percentage of our patreon proceeds get donated to the equal justice initiative so just by supporting us you're also supporting positive change in the world
0: Yes. So thank you so much for listening to "Ripped from the
1: Headlines, where you get the facts and some fiction. And we'll see you next week. Until then, stay out of the headlines.
0: Bye. Bye.